Thank you, Richard. And it's really wonderful to see you all here this morning. Thank you so much for coming along. We want to say uh, you're so, so welcome. Um, we genuinely are really thankful that you're with us. Um, as we turn to God's word now, uh, let me just say a short word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word, please would you reveal to us wonderful truth from it. Above all, may we see your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, more clearly this morning. And we pray in his name. Amen. Uh, if you turn in your Bibles to John and chapter 13, we're going to read the first 17 verses of John chapter 13. And it says in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he has come, had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We'll end our reading there. I love this passage. I'm sure many of you do as well. One of the phrases that really stands out to me right at the beginning of our passage is this, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. This idea of loving them to the uttermost. The Lord knew that his hour had come, and the very next day he would be crucified. And it's almost like the world around him is getting darker and darker. Uh, there, there's this anticipation of an event that uh, would be cruel and horrific. And that anticipation would have crippled most ordinary men or women. If you or I knew that the very next day we'll be led out to face a cruel and grievous death, I imagine we'd be in no state to serve others. I certainly wouldn't. No state to minister to the needs of others. Yet here is Jesus, loving his disciples to the end. These disciples who would let him down at the times he needed them most. This group that seemed so slow to understand and so prone 
to failure. A group who, in fact, just earlier in the meal had been debating among themselves who amongst them was the greatest. How frustrating that might have been for Jesus. He'd spent the last three years showing them, teaching them what true greatness actually looked like, and there they were, debating amongst themselves who is the greatest amongst us. How embarrassing. Yet the Lord's patience never runs out. It's ever abundant. It's inexhaustible. He loved them to the end, we read. One of the men around that table didn't love Jesus at all. We read in verse 3 that he was in the service of the devil, Judas, the betrayer. Yet despite the horror that lay ahead and despite the sinfulness of those at the table with him, Jesus does the very thing that comes most naturally to him. He notices that no one around the table has taken it upon themselves to to get down on the floor, fill a basin with water, and wash people's feet. A standard custom in those days. No one's done it. And so Jesus himself rises from the table, takes off his outer clothing, wraps a towel around his waist, fills a basin with water, and begins to serve. And in one sense, this act is shocking, deeply shocking, Because Jesus is the king of kings. He's the long-promised Messiah sent from God, and he's taking on the role of a slave here, and he's washing the dirty feet of his flawed followers. How can it be that one so high, so holy, so clean would do such a menial task? Surely it's far beneath him. King Jesus, the light of the world, God in flesh, he should be in a palace. He should have servants running to and fro to meet his every need, yet here he stoops on a rough wooden floor, a towel wrapped around his waist, a basin of water by his side, washing the dirty feet of his followers. There is a sense in which this is deeply shocking and rightly makes us uncomfortable. Yet as I reflected on it, I realized there's another sense this isn't shocking at all. We should expect this because this is the very heart of God. This is the very heart of Christ. This is what God is always like, isn't he? He's a God who doesn't do this sort of thing as an odd or arbitrary exception to his character. This is what he's like. He's a God who's always self-giving, always others-serving. A God whose most natural disposition is to bless others. Think of the concern Jesus has for the crowds who come to listen to his teaching. I have compassion for these people, he said. They have already been with me three days and have had nothing to eat. And have nothing to eat, he said. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. I love those words, this practical concern for the people listening to him. And what does he do next? Well, he feeds 4,000 of them with seven loaves and a few small fish. And there's seven baskets of food left over. And then think back to the Old Testament and God's provision for his people. The children of Israel in in Exodus, he fed them, he ensured they had enough to drink even when they were rebellious, even when they were obstinate. And his goal was to lead them to this promised land, a place of provision, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then consider the great feast in the kingdom of God that Jesus talks about in Luke 14. It's also described as a wedding banquet with the Lord himself as the host, a banquet that God invites us to attend, that all Christians will enjoy. 
So we see it throughout scripture, a God who loves to bless, a God whose natural disposition is to serve others, to shower people with hospitality. Don't you love that about our Lord? And it is this heart posture, it is this generous hospitality that God longs to see in his people. God loves to see it in you and I. In in Leviticus 19, God says this, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as native born. Love them as yourself, for you are foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In Luke 14, Jesus said, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite friends, your friends, your brothers or sister, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And you see in both these references, God's desire to give generous hospitality, even to the undeserving, to to those who can't repay us, to shower others with kindness, not expecting anything in return, but because God has showered us undeserving sinners with his kindness, and so he loves to see us doing the same. It brings him great joy. Jumping back into our passage, look, down at Simon Peter's reaction to Jesus in verse six. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my head and my my hands and my head as well. It's the most Peter thing ever, isn't it? You've got to love him. He's an all-in or an all-out sort of guy. But he misses the point here because at first he tries to refuse the Lord's generous hospitality. And on the face of it, his reasoning seems noble, doesn't it? He doesn't think the Lord should have to carry out such a menial task. But Jesus tells him that being washed by him is essential to being joined to him. In other words, Peter needs a servant king. Peter needs a king who is willing to descend low, who is willing to descend to the depths to wash Peter clean. And the fact is, so do you and so do I. And the very next day, the Lord would descend further still, far further than the rough wooden floor. He would descend to a cruel wooden cross, and in Isaiah, we read of what happened on that cross. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so that poignant act of foot washing It was a foreshadowing of an even greater act, an act of condescension when Christ, the very next day, would take on the role of a suffering servant and give his life as a ransom for all. And I think, I'm increasingly convinced, it's only when we understand and are captivated by the fact that God has served us in this way, has loved us in this way, has showered us with unmerited grace and favor that we will be liberated to truly be able to serve others. There's a chorus that came to mind as I thought on this passage. I'm sure many of you know it. A line goes, freely, freely, as you have received, freely, freely give. And it's quoting Jesus. 
It's saying the natural response to being showered with God's welcome, with God's grace and hospitality, if you like, is to share that grace and hospitality with others. But as I think of my own heart, and maybe as you guys reflect on your own hearts, it's, it's not always our natural response, is it? And one of the greatest barriers to our hospitality can actually be pride. Pride was arguably the very thing that had prevented one of the disciples getting down on the floor themselves and doing the foot washing. Especially as just earlier in the evening, they'd been arguing about who was the greatest. Arguing about who, the, who is the greatest doesn't motivate this kind of act of service, does it? And to begin with, pride can actually stand in the way of us receiving the hospitality of God. I don't need anything from God, some people say. I'm a strong, independent man or woman. I don't need anything. I'm a self-made man. Consider all the people that didn't show up to the banquet in Jesus' parable about the banquet. They spurned the hospitality. What a tragic thing it is to reject the generous kindness of God. But then even, even when we have received God's hospitality, like the disciples had, we can, we can sometimes allow our pride to get in the way. I think there's two different ways that can happen. Maybe it's that we have too high a view of ourselves. My time is precious, maybe we think. I work hard during the week. I, I need some time for myself. I don't have the capacity, to be honest. I'm too busy. I'm too important. I won't invite those people. They're not really my kind of people. They're not really my type. They lack sophistication, or, or maybe I'd have to cook something that I don't really normally cook, it's a bit bland, the conversation would be dull, that family wouldn't be a great influence on my kids, that man's a bit of a talker, a bit opinionated, that lady tries too hard, and to be honest, they wouldn't invite me back, and, if I did, and even if they did, I'd rather not go, to be honest. I'd rather show hospitality to people who are like me, more like us, people we'd be compatible with. I wonder... If you've ever thought like that, some of us maybe have. And it's an ugly thing, isn't it? Maybe we don't like it on ourselves, but those thoughts do come to the surface at points. Are you ever tempted to limit your hospitality to those you deem deserving of it, to those who can reciprocate? That's one, one form of pride, the pride that thinks too highly of ourselves. There's another form of pride, which is almost like an inverted pride, and that's a pride which thinks too highly of the opinions of others fears the opinions of others. There's a lady called Caroline Lacey who's recently written a book called Extraordinary Hospitality. And it's really good, I, I recommend that. I've read sections of it. And she talks about that kind of pride and she says it's a pride that inhibits us from welcoming others because we worry about what people may think of us. It is at the heart of many of our fears associated with welcoming others. And she says, they will see what I'm really like and they might not like me. They will see what a mess my home is and how bad my parenting skills are and they won't respect me. I can't do it as well as others. I'm not a great cook. I find it difficult to make conversation. I'm not funny or interesting or articulate. What if I offend people I don't invite? I might be criticized for inviting the wrong people. And actually, this kind of pride, it causes us to care too much about what people think of us. And it can be a massive barrier to hospitality because actually, being hospitable requires us to be vulnerable. It is a vulnerable experience, isn't it, to welcome someone to your home, your safe 
space, a place containing many of the things precious to you, what if they don't like it? What if it's not as nice as their house? It's a bit small, isn't it? The paint is peeling on the kitchen ceiling. What about that funny smell in the hall? Spend hours and hours preparing a meal, maybe. It's an act of service, isn't it? It's totally different from taking someone to a restaurant. You have to put love and care into the preparation. You've thought of a recipe. You've thought what your guests might like or dislike, any dietary requirements. And in that food, it's almost like you're sharing a bit of yourself. You want them to love it, not just like it. But what if they don't? Can you bear that disappointment? Can you invite them again? And I think a correct understanding of our passage this morning actually challenges, smashes actually, both these forms of pride. If we have too high a view of ourself, this passage shows us that we're the sinners who need washed. We're the undeserving ones, the ones who are dirty and need cleansing. We're the ones who've been showered with God's hospitality. And therefore, how can we be too proud to show hospitality to others? And what's more, if our God and Savior has gone down on the ground and washed dirty feet, how can we consider ourselves too important to serve one another? And what about the fear of others' opinions? Well, this passage shows us that the God we serve wasn't embarrassed or ashamed to show costly hospitality to his people. He took on the form of a servant. He bore the awkward glances so that people like you and I might be made welcome so that we can be washed clean, so that we can know exactly what God thinks of people like us. And if God has showered you with that kind of kindness, if he looks on you in love, quite frankly, who cares what people think about the paint peeling on your kitchen ceiling, or if you slightly overcook the beef, or if you buy the, des buy the desserts from Tesco's? They do some good desserts, actually. Who cares? It doesn't matter a jot. Because when we rightly understand who we are in Christ, we're liberated to show God's hospitality to others. And so we're almost done. We've seen the heart of Christ for hospitality. We've seen God's desire that his people might freely give just as they've received. And we've seen how the gospel breaks down our pride. Finally, let's consider some practical ways we might respond. Look at verse 14. Now that I, says Jesus, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. That's a significant verse in verse 17. You will be blessed if you do them. Generous hospitality, ultimately, though it may be hard at times, ultimately it's the pathway to blessing. Jesus himself descended to the depths that he might be raised to the heights, crowned with glory and honor and given a name that is above every name. He shows us that the pathway to greatness is the pathway of humble service, the way of hospitality, if you like. And so if you live a life characterized by generous hospitality, you'll be filled with joy, for it is more blessed to give than to receive. And what does that look like for, here at, us, for here, us here at Crescent? Well, how can we live lives like this? Well, I, again, I found Caroline Lacey's book, Extraordinary Hospitality, very helpful here. And one thing she foregrounds is the fact that hospitality is more than just having people around for a meal. A lot of hospitality, she says, occurs in the mundane, and she quotes American satirist uh, P.J. O'Rourke, 
who says, everyone wants to save the earth, no one wants to help mum do the dishes. I thought that was quite an interesting quote. It's very easy to think big and just forget the mundane, the ordinary. Let's remember we can show hospitality in just those normal moments of life, in the church, in the workplace, at school and at home. Even today at church, we can welcome people, can't we, with warmth and kindness. We can go out of our way to ensure they feel comfortable, they feel at home, they know what's going on, they understand some of the jargon, what is rooted, for example. We can make sure that they know about all the opportunities to get involved in, involved in present life. Maybe they know about the home groups, the, the time of the Sunday services. It's about making sure they're not standing awkwardly on their own in the corner with no one to talk to, trying to look like they're on their phone, but really they're just feeling uncomfortable. It's about introducing them to others. What about the workplace? Well, we can let our colleagues know they're always free to ask us questions to come over for a chat, to come and eat their lunch at our desk. I remember at PwC, I used to work for PwC, the accounting firm, and I remember oftentimes people were very closed off at work. You felt like you, could, you couldn't go up to them and even interrupt them um, for fear of interrupting something important. We shouldn't be like that as Christians. We should be approachable. We should always be ready to chat. We shouldn't come across as aloof or superior. We should volunteer for even menial tasks, even if they're not in our job description, even if seemingly they're beneath us. Doing things like that show that we care and they, they are forms of hospitality. What about our homes? Well, they should be open to others. It's a challenge, isn't it? Especially as we've got so used to living in our own little space over the past 18 months. It should be normal for us to have guests, people from church, non-Christian friends and family, and here's, here's a key thing. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be Instagram worthy. We don't have to make sure all the kids' toys are put away. Because remember, it's not about us looking good. It's not about that. It's about our guests being shown the love of Jesus. So it might just be a tea or a coffee in the garden. It might be a simple brunch or lunch or, or dinner. It might be a bed for the night for someone passing through Belfast. But the key point is it's done from a place of Christ-like love and generosity. Freely, freely as you have received, freely, freely give. It's the heart posture that matters. Much more than the quality of the food or the aesthetics of your home. And also here's a challenge uh, Caroline Lacey makes. Be willing to accept help when people offer. You don't have to try and be the superhero. We're not, are we? So we can be real with people. And finally, think about our guests. How can we show them hospitality in a way that refreshes them? What are their needs? What would they like to talk about? When we start thinking like this, we're thinking more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. In her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, uh, Rosaria Butterfield writes, radically ordinary hospitality shows this skeptical post-Christian world what authentic Christianity looks like. That was a really good quote. So the challenge for us is let's do it. Let's be a church family that has, has the heart of Christ for hospitality. Let's freely give as we have received. Let's allow Christ to crush any pride within us. And let's experience the joy, the blessing that comes with following his example. Let's close in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your heart of hospitality seen so clearly in the actions of the Lord Jesus Christ in our passage today. The Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, getting down on a rough wooden floor to wash the dirty feet of his followers. And the very next day, descending much further still, going to the cross and bearing the punishment for our sins, bearing our shame, Lord, that we might be washed clean. And so, Father, we thank you. Father, we praise you that we've been showered with that kind of grace and that kind of kindness. And so, Father, just as we have received such generous hospitality from you, may we now give the same to others. Lord, might you de- may you deal with any pride in, in my life, in our lives, anything else that stands in the way, would you deal with it, Lord, and would you help us neither to have too high a view of ourselves or too great a fear of the opinions of others. Instead, Lord, may we be convinced in our hearts that the pathway to greatness, the pathway to blessing, is the way of humble service. Convince our hearts that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Father, then let us get busy serving, showing hospitality in the ordinary, in the mundane, welcoming people to our church, in our workplace, and in our homes. May we be known here at Crescent as a people who are hospitable, May we show the world around us, non-Christians around us, what authentic Christianity looks like, what Christ looks like. And Father, may people be welcomed into your family as a result. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.